Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series, Questions, the Beginnings of Faith. If we're honest, there isn't anyone among us who wouldn't want more money, right? Yet we sense that money itself isn't enough. How do we find the good life, the abundant life that we've been promised? Join us for the message, How Can I Make a Life and Not Just a Living? Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Now, if we're honest, is there anyone among us here who wouldn't like to have more money? (laughs) Yet we sense that money itself isn't enough. So how do we find the good life, the abundant life that we have been promised? Well, join us a little later for our message, How Can I Make a Life and Not Just a Living? This morning's scripture is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, 9 through 17. Please listen now to the word of God. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and Father through him. And now from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. 
Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. This is the word of God for the people of God. Science tells us that the human species as we know it, Homo sapiens, have been around for about 200,000 years. But it's only been the last 500 years that human beings have come to realize that the earth revolves around the sun and not vice versa. So for 500 years, we believed that the earth revolves around the sun. For the 199,500 years before that, we believed that everything in the universe revolved around the earth. So in the larger scale then of human history, the time that we have known that the earth is not the center of the universe has been a relative blink in the eye. The ancient Greeks were fascinated by the night sky, and they noticed that there were five stars that moved differently than all the other stars. Now, we know, now know them to be the planets uh, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. The other planets would not be discovered until after the invention of the telescope. But since the ancient Greeks still assumed that the universe revolved around the Earth, they had a very hard time predicting the motion of these planets. Because their fundamental model of the universe was inaccurate, they couldn't figure out why the planets moved in such an unusual pattern. All the other stars seemed to follow this fixed pattern that never changed from year to year. The planets, however, just seemed to wander about. In fact, the actual word planet means wanderer. About a hundred years after Jesus was born, the mathematician and astronomer Ptolemy was born, probably somewhere around uh, Alexandria, Egypt, and he proposed an elaborate model of the universe where the Earth remained at the center, but the other planets revolved around the Earth, but also making these little added circular moments. So imagine that, that this is the Earth, and here you have other planets going around. Instead of just going around, though, they would make these other little circles as they went around. And that's how Ptolemy uh, saw how, how, why the wanderers were going in different ways. And this came to be known as the Ptolemaic system or the Ptolemaic model. Using the Ptolemaic model, you could roughly predict the motion of the planets. So from about the time of early Christianity until the 1500s, this was the model of the universe accepted by scientists and academics. The problem was that it could only roughly predict the motion of the planets. 
For centuries, scientists tried to hone the Ptolemaic model to make it more accurate, but this really only succeeded in making it much more elaborate and much more cumbersome. The problem was that no matter how much the scientists tried to tinker with the Ptolemaic model, it was never going to be accurate because it was based on a fundamentally flawed concept that the universe revolved around the Earth. Well, then in, in the 1500s, along came the astronomer Nicholas Copernicus. And he realized that the motion of the stars and planets made so much more sense if you put the sun at the center of your model of the universe. Now, Copernicus was not the first to postulate that the Earth and the other planets revolved around the sun, but he was the first to synthesize the fields of astronomy, physics, and mathematics to back up his hypothesis, and then he published the results. After Copernicus, more and more scientists accepted that the sun was the center of the universe after all, and this was one of the greatest shifts in perception that humankind has ever experienced. And so, so, such a shift it was that we now refer to this as the Copernican revolution, uh, revolution. And in the centuries since, we've come to learn even more. First of all, we've come to learn that the sun is also not the center of the universe, that all those other stars that we see in the sky are suns like our own, that we're part of the Milky Way galaxy, and that galaxy is one of trillions of galaxies, which are all receding away from each other at more or less the speed of light. In fact, there are scientists now who think that our universe may only be one of many universes that make up this vast cosmos that's so much bigger than we ever thought or imagined. In the 1500s, however, Copernicus's theory was very hotly contested. I have a cartoon where a room full of cat scientists, and by cat scientists, I don't mean scientists who study cats, but actual cats who are scientists. In this cartoon, they are vigorously disputing that Copernicus could not possibly be right. There was no way that the sun was the center of the universe. And as you read the next frame, the cat scientists don't believe in Copernicus's theory because each and every one of the cat scientists contend that they are the center of the universe. <laughs> so evidently, I live with four little universes. <laughs> what is evident from all of this, this one thing that we can know for sure, you and I are decidedly not the center of the universe. Now, yes, we may realize intellectually that we're an infinitesimal spark in a vast con a cosmos, but I think all of us on some level, and this is myself included, really do believe that the universe indeed revolves around us. But long before Copernicus dethroned Earth as the center of the universe, our Christian faith has reminded us that it is God who is truly at the center of the universe. After all, it was God who created the universe. And so right now, I do want to shift our focus, but we will orbit back, so to speak, to the idea of God being the center of the universe. I want to look a little bit closer at the gospel passage that Norma read. It's come to be known as the story of the rich young ruler. And in this story, the rich young ruler, this young man, approaches Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Well, Jesus replies that he should obey the Torah, especially the Ten Commandments. And the man counters that he's followed the commandments since the days of his youth. We get the feeling, however, that the young man still feels deep down inside that there is just something lacking. And indeed there is. Jesus looks at him with great compassion and then says to him, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Well, at this point, Jesus turns to his disciples and exclaims, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. To this, the disciples reply, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. So what are we to make of this story? Are we being told that all of us need to sell everything we own to follow Jesus? Now, as far as we know, at least as recorded in the Gospels, this man is the only person to whom Jesus ever said this. Indeed, there seem to be several well-off people, particularly women mentioned in the Gospels, who used their wealth to bankroll Jesus, the disciples, and their ministry. And Jesus didn't tell them to sell everything, so, so what's going on here? I don't think that all of us are being called to sell all of our possessions, though I certainly think there can be individuals who are so called. I think what we're being told is to give up possession of all of our possessions. In other words, we must come to realize that everything that we think we own really belongs to God. We don't possess them. We just use them for the short time that we're here on this earth. Now, we certainly talk about the idea that we're just stewards of the good things that God has given us. But to be honest, this truth doesn't doesn't usually penetrate very far into our souls or our psyches. Most of the time, we conduct our lives as if we actually own what it is that we think that we own, and that we really begin to believe that we actually own our possessions. But when we believe that, in the end, I think we finally find that our possessions end up owning us. And we say things like, money can't buy happiness, but we do not act in a way that is consistent with that principle. The fact is, however, that studies show that while middle-class people are indeed happier than poor people, Rich people, on the other hand, are no happier than middle-class people. See, once you have enough money to meet your basic needs and wants, that is enough money to place someone in the middle class, then more money doesn't seem to make you any happier. Besides, we really have no concept of the fact that a middle-class American is wealthy by world standards. For example, if you have at least $77,000 in assets, you're in the top 10% of the wealthiest people on earth. Now, it doesn't take much to have $77,000 in assets. Basically, if you own even the most modest home, congratulations, you've made the cut, and you're indeed one of the top 
10% of the wealthiest people on the planet. So if money and possessions aren't the answer, then how do we live the good life? How do we even define what the good life is? What does a good life look like? Well, years ago, someone asked the great psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud, what was the secret to happiness? And to this he replied, Liebend und Arbeiten, to love and to work. If we have others whom we love and who in turn love us, and if we have meaningful and fulfilling work to do, then chances are we'll be able to find true happiness. And I really do think Freud was onto something. And I think it's also very close to the Christian idea that the good life consists of loving God and loving your neighbor. The good life is found by discerning and then following God's call and will for our lives. That is, following the specific ways in which we are called as individuals and as a community to love God and to love neighbor in the places where we find ourselves. Maybe you are being called to sell all your possessions. Or maybe you're being told to take your assets and use them to fund ministry. Whatever your calling, following it will lead you to joy. Now, joy is an emotion that goes much deeper than happiness. I've certainly found this true, that throughout your life, happiness will come and go. Joy, on the other hand, springs out of being the person that God created you to be and doing the work to which God has called you. Joy comes from being the person that God created you to be and doing the work to which God has called you. Presbyterian minister and theologian Frederick Buechner uh, wrote, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. There was a young woman many years ago named Agnes who was contemplating becoming a nun, and her priest advised her, joy comes from the depths of your being. It's like a compass by which you can tell what direction your life should follow. That is the case even when the road you must take is a difficult one. Young Agnes eventually became Mother Teresa. Finding your calling and thus finding joy is inextricably bound up with baptism and resurrection. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter Sunday, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The passage that we read earlier from Colossians speaks then about the link between resurrection and baptism. But first, a little historical background. In the early centuries of the ancient church, baptisms were only performed at Easter, never at any other time of the year. While the church has practiced infant and child baptism from the very beginning, as the Christian faith was rapidly spreading throughout the Roman Empire in those early centuries, the church was primarily growing through conversion. So therefore, most of the people being baptized would be teens and adults. Now, before a person could be presented for baptism, they had to go through a three-year period of preparation Really imagine having to go through a three-year-long confirmation class. 
When the time came at the next Easter after they had completed this, those ready for baptism were lined up into two different lines, men on one side and women on the other. And there was usually then some kind of divider between them. And one by one, the new converts would completely strip off all of their clothing and get into the baptismal pool. The men were baptized by a male priest and the women were baptized by a female deacon. After the newly baptized came up out of the water, they were dressed in a brand new white robe and then they were escorted into the sanctuary where they would receive Holy Communion for the first time. So with this picture in mind, let us revisit that passage from Colossians. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you that is earthly. Do not lie to one, to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. So to paraphrase the passage, when we're baptized, no matter what age we are, we're baptized into Christ's death. That is, we participate in Christ's death and burial. We therefore also participate in Christ's resurrection. Just as Jesus was raised, so too are we raised to new life. And at the end of time, just as Christ will be fully revealed in glory, so shall we. And just as the baptized in the ancient church were stripped of their clothing, baptism strips us of our old selves. And just as the baptized in the early church were given new white robes, we're clothed with a new self that will be characterized by compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and generosity and love. This new self renews and grows as we come to better know God and to take on the full image of our Creator. So how do we come to better know God and to take on this full image of God? Well, actually, in the previous chapter at Colossians, it tells us, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you are taught abounding in thanksgiving. And we call this whole process sanctification, the process by which we relinquish ownership of all we possess and relinquish it over to God. That is the process by which we find fulfilling love and work, the process by which we discern God's will and begin to live it out, the process by which we come to experience deep and abiding joy and the process by which we live out our baptism by stripping off our old self and clothing ourselves with new life in Christ. It's the process by which we find ourselves then rooted in Christ. Sanctification, therefore, is the process by which we find the good life now and into eternity. Colossians shows us this path of sanctification, saying, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, study and emulate the words and actions of Jesus through Bible study, both individually and in community. Worship God frequently and fervently. Pray daily by talking to God and listening to God in return. Give generously of your time and your fortune to others. Serve others diligently. And in all things and in all circumstances, give praise and thanksgiving to God. Be so rooted in Christ that when you love and perform good works, it's really Christ who is loving and performing good works through you. So this is the process of sanctification. This is what it means to live a good life. This is what it means to love God and neighbor. And this is how you inherit eternal life. You and I are not the center of the universe. The creator of the universe is the center of the universe. Everything we are, everything we have, finds its source in God, and nothing really belongs to us. Just as Copernicus's realization that the earth was not the center of the universe radically changed humankind's perception of physical reality, so too does the realization that we are not the center of the universe change our perception of spiritual reality. Our lives are not our own. And that is good news. I don't know where this saying comes from. I only just, I saw it once on a plaque. I slept and dreamed life was a joy. I awoke and saw life was service. I served and found service was joy. So go out now and embrace the joy of your heart. Amen. I told you at the beginning of Lent that I encourage everyone during the season at Lent at some point to read one of the Gospels. Read all four if you're really ambitious, but read at least one of the Gospels. And it's not too late. We still have several weeks left in Lent. So if you've not read uh, a Gospel through, um, through the season of Lent, there's still time. I still invite you to do that. And now receive this benediction uh, as we repeat the words from Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we continue our sermon series, Questions, the Beginnings of Faith. Join us then for the message, Why Should I Join Any Group That Will Have Me as a Member? You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, 
ltumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.